Okay, we are continuing our study. Uh, again, we, where we are looking at the chronological life of Jesus. We're following mainly the text within the, the Gospel according to Luke, but then we'll grab other passages from other, other books that, that uh, uh, pick up on, on the different aspects. So, Luke, now, chapter 4, verse 31. Luke 4, 31. Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him into their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word this is, for with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And the report about him went out in every place in the surrounding region. So last week we talked about how Jesus went right back into the synagogues and started teaching. And in in 431 it says, And he was teaching them on the Sabbaths. So he'd go in on the Sabbath day and he'd, he'd teach. And there were Sabbath teachings. There are Sabbath teachings on Friday night. There are Sabbath teachings on, uh, uh, on, on Saturday morning. And particularly on Saturday morning are these Sabbath teachings uh, that, that people will see. So generally, if you go to Israel now on Friday nights, they have the Shabbat meal. So when the sun goes down, they're all together in their home and they have certain things, that readings that they go through in their home. And on Saturday morning... Uh, you, will, you will see many Jews walking to the synagogues, going to their respective synagogues. And there's synagogues all over Israel that, that often w- within walking distance. And if you're an Orthodox Jew, you have to walk. Uh, uh, you're not permitted to drive in a car uh, on the Sabbath. But in any case, there were no cars at that time. It says in verse 32, Luke 4.32, And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Authority is the product of a relationship. Authority from the Word of God is the product of a relationship. You can have two people say exactly the same words. One has authority and one doesn't. And you can sense the difference. Authority comes through relationship with God. If you spend time with God, the words that you speak concerning the Scriptures will have a greater authority. If you spend time with God, they will have a greater authority. If you spend little time with God and say these words, they have no authority. And people will sense the difference. If you're called to teach, if you're called to teach a Bible study, you will speak with far more authority if you spent time wrestling with this passage and praying over it and asking God to fill you, asking God to grant you the ears of your hearers. You will be granted greater authority through that. And in fact, you can even hear, sometimes even through, through tapes, through, through uh, uh, MP3s, you can hear people speaking and you know that there's a different level of authority. So it doesn't have to just be through the physical word, you can hear it electronically. But that there was an, an anointing that day upon that speaker. They speak with authority. Now, authority, this speaking with authority is an interesting thing. It's as soon as you might think that you have accomplished something and you're the source of this authority, 
the sense of authority starts to leave. And, and so it, it, it's really an odd thing. As soon as you start thinking that you're something, that there's authority here because of something that you are inherently, that sense of authority starts to leave. If a manager has to say, I'm the boss around here, remember that. Their, their ability as a manager is in question. It really is. If you take a management course, they'll teach you this. A good manager doesn't have to say, I'm the boss around here. good manager, without saying that, people realize that. People begin to realize that. So you don't have to say, I'm the boss around here. You don't have to remind people of that. That goes with the way you are in your position as manager. This speaking of authority, if, if ever we start thinking it comes from ourselves, we start to lose it. As we spend more time with God and realizing our inadequacy, and it is God who fills us and we step out in faith in that word, then it starts coming forth with authority. It's an interesting sort of thing. It's, uh, uh, our hearts can be so wickedly sick in this. Sometimes I'll be on my knees crying out to God for grace in a particular message that I need to give, saying, Lord, I have nothing here. Nothing. So fill me. And it's interesting. I'll give, get up to speak sometimes, and I, I, and I didn't even know exactly what I was going to say about the passage. But God will fill me in that moment and give to me. And it wasn't that I went in unprepared. No, I had been trying all week to gather thoughts about that passage and it just wasn't coming. And sometimes it happens like that. Sometimes you, you'll be given lots of thoughts about the passage to be able to teach it. And you can go in there and, and express that. And other times you wrestle over a passage and there's nothing. You walk in and you give confidently that message and God will fill you at that moment. And it's in those moments that I'm crying out to God, God, fill me. And He does. And I'll get done. And there's this feeling like, hey, look what I did. You know, here I was crying out on my knees, asking God to fill me. He so filled me. And I can walk out of there thinking, hey, look what I did. You see how insidious our hearts are. How wicked our hearts can be. We ask God to fill us. He does. And then we can walk away patting ourselves on the back for the filling. All of this is the source from God. Then we start to lose it. It comes out of a depth of relationship. If you will learn before you get up, many of you teach little Bible studies there in the, in the colleges. If you will learn to spend a few hours in prayer before that Bible study, it will change your, your teaching. It will change the, the, the text as it comes out. Every corner you start to turn, new light will start to come as you go through a passage. You can be staring at a passage and nothing is there. You spend a few hours praying, God, open this word to me and grant me the ears of my hearers. And then every turn you make, new things, richness will come from the word of God. You'll begin to teach the word of God and then you'll all of a sudden see things you had not seen before in the midst of your teaching. God does this to teach us dependence upon Him, that it is not of ourselves, it is a gift of God, lest we boast. These are gifts of God. God does this. You can go to seminary, and I've seen many people go to seminary, and they come out zero power. They get up and they know how to go through all the steps. And, and uh, um, you know, there's just no life there. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. He said, if some men had to listen to their own sermons. Then, 
they would cry out and say, as Cain said, this punishment is too great for me. This can happen. So just because you go through a Bible college doesn't all of a sudden grant you authority and make you qualified. This comes from relationship with God. And then you can find a man who is practically illiterate, has this tremendous power because of a depth of relationship with God. It comes out of relationship with God. There's nothing wrong with seminary and learning all these things. But that does not grant you any power. There is no power there in learning the sequences that you go through in giving a sermon. The power comes through authority that is given by God. And so when Jesus taught, they said, Whoa! This is, they, 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 they were astonished. They were astonished at His teaching, for His Word was with authority. And then in, in the parallel account of this, in Mark, it says the same sort of thing. It says, the same, it says that, that, and they were astonished at His teaching, for He taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Well, if you read Jewish literature, you will find out exactly how the scribes taught. Rabbi so-and-so said of Rabbi so-and-so's text, such and such. Jesus never referred to any other rabbi. He spoke because He was the Word of Life Himself. He didn't have to make reference to others. He could speak the very words of God. This comes out of a depth of relationship. So for all of you that have inklings that maybe you want to go to seminary one day or you need to teach a Bible study at some point, and in fact, you may feel wholly inadequate. And that is a good place to be in. When you feel inadequate to teach the Word of God and you are thrust into having to lead a little Bible study group, that is the perfect position to be in. Because it's in your inadequacy that God can begin to fill. You take the passage and you begin to meditate on this passage. And, and uh, I have never used, in any of my teaching, I have never used the little Baptist instructional book. And if this body of Christ, this congregation required me to use that book and to use the, the patterns of that book, I wouldn't teach because I find it too confining. I want the Holy Spirit to take the teaching and to lead it. I want to wrestle through the Word of God. I don't want somebody to tell me, all right, make this point, this point, and this point. Just let the Holy Spirit take the passage and begin to speak to you what needs to be brought forth. This is teaching. This is the way Jesus taught. The passage from the Word of God can come alive in and of itself. It can come alive. The Scriptures can come alive. And if you seek God, every turn you make, there's new light coming. You may have taught a portion three or four times, and then all of a sudden you're saying, Lord, teach me this text again, for I need to bring it forth and teach this again. And boom! All new light comes. This comes by relationship with the Word of God. And as soon as we start thinking, wow, I have real authority, you start to lose your authority. When you start realizing, God, you have given this to me. God, I knew nothing going into this Bible study and you moved through me. You start saying that to God and God grants more. And then sometimes you say, well, Lord, I want to get this whole thing mapped out. So I've got to teach out of this book for the next semester. I want to get all the messages mapped out. It's not going to happen. With the children of Israel, they were given manna for the day. That's it. Manna for the day. In fact, if they tried to gather up twice as much for two days, it would rot. The only day that it lasted two days 
was as they were approaching the Sabbath, they could gather for that day and for the Sabbath day and it wouldn't rot. So there are times God will give you an extended amount because you've got to give back-to-back sermons or something or back-to-back messages. But you have to come daily fresh and take that portion. You may say, well, you know, I worked all this out. I have the, 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 the message already prepared for this. You still need time alone with God for God to begin to infuse you with authority and power through that passage. This is how you take the, the text of the Word of God. And what I'm sharing with you Very few people know. Very few people know. In fact, people will go through seminaries and think that, oh, I've got it down now. I know what to do. And here they are coming out of seminary. But it's not like engineering. You come out of school and and, and, and now you know how to use your CAD CAM programs or whatever. No, if if you're speaking the Word of God, you have to spend time with the Word of God. Now, there are occasions where you are thrust into a position where somebody asks you to come up and speak or share that you had no ability to plan on because you were just thrust into the position. God will fill you at that moment. But if you have time to prepare and you don't, if you have time to prepare and you have not come before God and asked Him to fill you, He might fill you, but you cannot expect it. It comes by spending time with God, where you wrestle through that passage. You know, some people will, will say to me, you know, so, so what do you prepare Sunday mornings for your messages? I say, no, I, I prepare all week. If I have to speak on Sunday, I'm preparing all week. Every day that week, I'm reading through this passage and saying, God, give something to me through this. Speak to me through this passage. God will fill you. This is authority that comes from the Word of God. And the more time you spend with God, the more authority you will bear in this. This is true teaching. This is the way Jesus taught. This is what He did. This is how life came to Him from the Scriptures. So He had this, new, this teaching with authority. And then in, verse, in, in, in Luke 4, verse 33. Now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him into their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. And, and, and so, here he was, trying to teach in the synagogue, and there was this demon-possessed man. Now, if you think demons don't exist and you're intellectually too smart for this, just tear that page out of your Bible because it's nonsense, right? And every other page that speaks of demon confrontation. And, and, and uh, uh, you will see demons confronted a lot in the Bible, particularly in the Gospels. And in fact, if you think that you're going to experience as much demonic experience as Jesus did, you're wrong. Jesus got much more than we will ever get. Because it says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, that the accuser has been cast down. So when Jesus came, the accuser was cast down. You see this enormous bursting forth of demonic activity in the Gospels, in the life of Jesus. And and as soon as Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected from the dead, then you see it automatically go right back in the book of Acts to the level of demonic activity that there was in the Old Testament. Over the book of Acts, which is over a 20-year or more 
20-year-plus period the book of Acts covers, you see the, the apostles confronting demons. But only about three or four times. Over a 20-year period. You see Jesus dealing with demons, lots of them, every day. You will not see that in typical Christian life. You will not see that. Because in, during that period, as it says in Revelation chapter 12, the accuser was cast down at that period. When the Son of God came, the accuser was cast down. Jesus dealt with lots and lots of demons. It, w- it went right back to normal activity. Now, there will be regions of the world that you will go to where there is greater demonic activity than in this country. If you go to regions of the world where the occult is practiced a lot, you will find a lot more demonic activity where the occult is practiced. Uh, but to say that there is no demonic activity today is wrong. You see it in the book of Acts. You see demonic activity in the Old Testament. And here he's confronted by a demon. And you would think that, hey, if God is calling Jesus into the Sabbath, on the Sabbath day, into the synagogue to give a sermon, why mess it up with all this demon stuff coming out? You know, why distract everything? Because when you have to deal with demons, it's really distracting. And everybody's come here for a nice service and they want to listen to this teaching with authority. Wow. And then all of a sudden, somebody starts crying out with a demon. And it says that, and he cried out with a loud voice. So it wasn't just, I'm a demon. I'm a de-. It was with a loud voice crying out. And he's saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I mean, this guy's Shouting out. Shouting this out in the synagogue. Remember, synagogues are kind of like churches. You go there, you're supposed to be good. And he's shouting out. If God is in control, why is he allowing this to happen? I mean, Jesus can come and give the message and then, you know, heal a few people of their sicknesses and, you know, a few people in wheelchairs, have them rise up and start dancing and... Why can't you just stop there? What what, what with the demonic activity in the synagogue? Well, sometimes it's not as clean as you might think. Sometimes there's demonic activity in churches, just as there was in synagogues. In fact, sometimes there's more in churches. And so this person was probably a regular attender of the synagogue. They had problems. As you sometimes see in churches, people come with all sorts of problems. But this, this individual had a de- demon living in them. And they were in the synagogue. And it's not very clean. It's messy. It's really messy. Dealing with demons isn't clean work in the sense of, you know, holy place and you know, respectful. There's nothing respectful about this. My experience is, is that, that people with demonic spirits speak a lot of really nasty language. Really nasty. And here I think the authors are probably just, you know, writing down the clean stuff. Rather than, than, than taking all the four-letter Hebrew words and sticking it in there. It, because, because it says that, that he started shouting this out. 
Now, the demons, interestingly enough, recognized that he was the Holy One of God. But it says Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet. So Jesus did not want the testimony of the demonic filled. Even though the demons recognized him for who he was, the Holy One of God, because the testimony of demons is not something that Jesus wanted. Just like, just like uh, Al Capone doesn't make a very good character witness. You know, there, there's people you bring to, to support your case. And there's other people, even though they might support your case, their character is so bad, you don't even want them supporting your case because in their supporting your case, it, it, it actually lessens your case because their character is so bad. And that's what, the way it was with Jesus. But how did he deal with this demon? Now, Jesus could well have said, be quiet and come out. Boom. And the man could... Demon's out. Man is happy. Jesus could have done it that way, couldn't he? But no. What happened was, it says, and when the demon had thrown him into their midst, well, what is that? It means this demon-possessed man... You know, he's jumping into the midst of the congregation. That's what it is. It says, the demon threw the man into their midst. So the man runs and jumps into the midst of the congregation. And, you know, ladies' dresses, you know, he's down under there and everything. You know, it's messy. You know, I'm sure he didn't just jump into the men's section. I mean, he was probably jumping into all the sections. You know, this is really messy. Some guy rolling around on the floor screaming. And it says, if you, if, in, the, in, the, um, in the Mark account, so Mark 1, 21 through 28 is, is the same account. And it says, Mark, Mark explains it a little bit differently. He says, and, uh, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out. So in other words, the man is in convulsions. The man has gone into convulsions, you know, rolling around on the ground in the midst of the congregation. And then with a loud shout, the demon comes out. Why? I mean, has, has Jesus no respect for the, 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 the congregation, the peaceful congregation, for the quietness of the congregation? Has he no respect for that? I mean, this is the type of man that he was dealing with. So just because things happen in a church, you'll say, well, I'm not going back to that church. I mean, things happen. Would you go back to that synagogue? <laughs> Would you have Jesus speak in your synagogue? You have that speaker come. I mean, this kind of stuff can happen. When there's demonic activity, it's not generally very nice. And so if you deal with casting out of demons, which once in a while you may have to deal with, it's not always going to be that clean. You may say, you, you know, command this demon to come out. There are examples that we will touch upon where Jesus said to demons, He says, He had been commanding him to come out. In other words, you would think with Jesus, just one simple command, it comes out. It could. Jesus could have done it. But there were other times where Jesus was commanding the demon to come out more than once. Not for his sake, because he had to for our sake, because we have to sometimes. And I've told this story before, but some of you may not have heard it. I was one day sitting in Randall's, the supermarket, 
and and uh, uh, they have this little area with, with chairs around there, and, and I was reading my Bible, and I heard this guy come in, and he was coming in cursing, cursing, saying, I want bluebell ice cream, just cursing away, and, and he had a lot of words between the words that I just said, <laughs> and, and, uh, and I'm, you know, this guy, and, and I'm looking at him, and he's just walking around just saying, I want this, and I'm thinking, well, why don't you just go get your bluebell ice cream and be quiet about it? I mean, there's plenty of bluebell ice cream over there, just get it. You know? I was just thinking that, I wasn't saying anything. But I knew what this man was like, because I... I had done prison ministry for many years and I've dealt with these sort of people and I knew what was going on in this man's heart, but I wasn't going to chase somebody down to cast a demon out of them. If he was going to confront me, I'd deal with it. So I'm sitting there reading my Bible and so he goes off and I don't hear anything. About five minutes later, he has a container of bluebell ice cream and he's eating it. I don't know if he's paid for it or what. I doubt it. I mean, he found his bluebell ice cream and he's eating it and he's coming over to this section where there's chairs cursing away as he's eating his bluebell ice cream. And I just continue reading my Bible. I see him coming. And, you know, I'm from, I'm from a Jewish home. And, and, uh, but it doesn't say Jew on my forehead, right? And so he's walking up, and I'm reading my Bible. And he, as he's walking, he stops. He looks. He says, well, if it isn't one of the children of the Hebrews, immediately he recognized this. And I knew what I was dealing with here. And I thought, if I have to cast this demon out and start confronting it here, and in my experience, they don't come out as fast as with Jesus. You know, this is a much longer process of having to deal with this thing. And uh, so, you know, I didn't say anything. And he, he starts saying a few more words. And finally I think, well, this is it. I'm going to deal with it. And I stood up and I looked right at him. And as he's walking, I stood up, he looked, he goes, G-U-L-P, gulp, and he turns around and he runs out of the store. And I wasn't about to chase him down. They recognized, he recognized that I was of Jewish origin, and he recognized that he was about to get dealt with. He recognized these things. And... That is my only big confrontation in the 12 years that I've lived in the city of Houston. So it doesn't happen to me all the time. And it's not like I go to places to find these things. But these things do occur. They do happen. Jesus dealt with them all the time because the accuser had been cast down to this earth. He dealt with demonic spirits all the time. You look in the book of Acts, there's just a few dealings with demonic spirits over an entire 20, 25 year period. That is the more normal case. But this is true. The Word of God has it. So then he deals with this demon, and it says in verse 36, they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, what a word this is. For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. So, you see that, that this was very different. Jews had a very different way of practicing exorcism, of casting out demons. And we will cover the methodology that they have. But it was very true. Jesus even made reference to their ways. When they accused him, ultimately, of casting out demons because he worked for the, because he was head of the demons, Jesus said, if, if I, by Beelzebul, cast out demons, by whom then do your sons cast them out? In other words, he made reference to the fact that 
the, the sons of Israel were able to cast out demons. And their normal practice of casting out demons, there was a prescribed methodology that you go through, and we will eventually cover that when Jesus starts to, to go against that very pattern. But in one case, he uses that very pattern, the Jewish pattern, in one instance, to cast out a demon that no Jew could ever cast out. But, and, and so they said, what is this? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out of him. And in, in the Mark passage, in, in Mark uh, chapter, chapter 1, it says in verse, verse uh, 27, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. What new doctrine is this? Because he didn't even go by the prescribed route to cast out this demon. And then it says, and, and the report about him went every place in the surrounding region. So remember, he's now in Galilee. And the report now is spreading all over the place that Jesus cast a demon out of a man. And in the Mark portion it says, And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region of Galilee. So this is Galilee or Galilee of the Gentiles. So there were a lot of Gentiles in that region too. The word is starting to spread and starting to go around. And now, remember, so this is a Saturday morning teaching during the Sabbath day. So, the, remember, the Friday night is mainly family night. Saturday morning is the big teaching. And then after that service on Saturday morning, just like many people in church will go home and have a big meal together, or they go to a restaurant and they have a big meal together, after their Saturday morning meeting, they come home, even to this day, and they have a big meal together as a family again. And so Jesus is going in for one of these lunches in the home of Simon Peter. So, let's pick it up now in, uh, in um, Luke chapter 4. We'll pick it up at verse 38. Now, he arose from the synagogue and he entered Simon Pe- Simon's house. For Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever. And they made request of him concerning her. So, he stood over her and he rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. Okay, so that's an interesting passage. That Jesus goes into the house of Simon Peter. So here's Simon Peter. And Simon Peter, though he is going to be a great apostle, his wife's mother, so that is his mother-in-law. What does that mean? It means that Simon Peter is married. Alright? For Simon Peter to have a mother-in-law. And Paul makes reference to this. That he himself, he says, he says that he didn't have a wife, but, but he says the, the other apostles, like Peter he made reference to, has a wife. And so this is Peter's mother-in-law. And he goes into this house, and they, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And Luke, being a doctor, says that she has a high fever, a recurring fever. There is, there is a simultaneous passage in Luke, in, in uh, the, 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 the uh, parallel passages are in Matthew chapter 8 and in Mark chapter 1, where it talks about this same thing. And, and uh, uh, it says, says the same thing, that Jesus went into her house. In, in the Matthew portion and the Mark portion, just says that she had a fever. Luke, the physician, says she had a high fever. A high fever. And you know when you have a high fever, you can't do anything? It's not like, oh, darling, I feel a bit feverish today. I can't serve. No, it's, not, it's nothing like that. I didn't know I could do that. You know, it, 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 it's, it's nothing like that. This woman had a high fever. She couldn't get out of bed. And she had to, and, and, and you, you know, you wonder why Jesus immediately walked in the house and 
and heal her. And I think it's because, you know, young wives sometimes don't cook that well. But, but mothers, mother-in-law, they can really cook. And, you know, Jesus came in there for lunch. And if, if she's in bed, there might not be a good lunch. I mean, now all of this is extrapolation. We don't know. It doesn't say it. But it could follow. You know, that might be the case. And so he, he goes in, and, and it, says that it, it says in the Luke portion that he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. It says in, in, in the, the parallel account in Matthew, it says that he touched her hand. And the fever left her, and she arose and served them. In the Mark passage, it says that he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her. So the fever didn't just you know, slowly go away, it immediately left. So how do we make sense of all these passages? And one passage says it stood over her. Another passage says it touched her hand. he touched her hand. Another passage it says he took her by the hand and raised her up. So which one is right? They're all right. They're all right. Because they're all... So you have three different guys recording this. They're all right. So in other words, if I walk up and there's a woman lying here on the ground and I come up and I say, fever be gone. I touch her hand. I grab hold of it and I lift her up. What am I doing? I'm standing over her, rebuking the fever. I'm touching her hand and I'm lifting her up. All of these. So it's not like, oh, I found... I found uh, uh, you know, there's all these controversies in the Bible. It just doesn't match up. Say to the person, show me three. Oh, well, you know, it's, it's full, full, full of these things. Okay, show me three. And they never do. Because all of these are easily accounted for. In fact, if it said it exactly the same way, it would have spoken of collusion in writing the text. You walk up, you touch the hand, you pull her up by the hand, and you're standing over her. It's all the same thing. All of these take place. Touch the hand... Pull her up by the hand while you're standing over her. This is what he did. And now it says in, in, in Luke chapter 4, verse 40, when the sun was setting, all those who, who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out, saying, You are the Christ, the Son of, the living, the Son of God. And he... He, and he, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. So, the other parallel accounts say exactly the same thing. So, in the Mark account, it says, At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick, and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered at the door. This is in, in Mark chapter 1. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak, because they knew him. And in, in the Matthew account, it says, When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities, and he bore our sicknesses. So you see, when evening came, why? Because Jews were not allowed to go for healing during the Sabbath. And Jesus later confronts that situation. But they came as soon as the sun was setting. The Sabbath was now over by Saturday night sunset. And then they started coming with all their sick. They heard about how Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law. The word spread. It says the whole city came to the doorway of that house. just bringing all their sick. Jesus was now healing the masses. It says he brought the sick and the demon-possessed. 
So not every sickness is because of demon possession. He separated these two things. He brought demon, they brought demon possessed and they brought the sick. And Jesus healed them. Healed them all. Jesus at this stage in his ministry is healing the masses. There was no obligation for faith. He wasn't asking all of these people to have faith. He healed the masses as a testimony of his messiahship. Later on, there will be a real change that will occur. And we will look very specifically at that change. And he stops teaching them directly. He only teaches them in parables at that point. And he only teaches, he doesn't anymore heal the masses. He only heals individuals based upon faith. Here he's in the section of, of, of healing the masses. And now it says, and the word about him spread all over. In fact, in the, in, uh, uh, this word is now, now spreading all, of, all ab- about him as, as he starts t- to minister. And in fact, in, in, uh, in the Matthew portion, he says he goes into the Galilee. This is in Matthew 4.23. He goes into Galilee and he starts to teach. And it says that uh, great multitudes followed him from the Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. So this is all over, even from down in Jerusalem, they're beginning to hear about this and follow him. In Luke chapter 4, verse 42, it says, now when when it was day, he departed, and, and then many people from all over started following him. So this is where his ministry really exploded, and he had, to, had trouble even just, just uh, keeping track of things at this point. He had to go from city to city if people wanted him to stay because of this mass healing that occurred at the doorway of the house of Simon Peter. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. You are so good to us. Lord, I thank You that with this teaching, with the Word of God, you can, you can come upon these young people with authority if they will spend time with You. If they will wrestle with this text. That it is not merely going to seminary. It is not merely reading a book on how to teach the Scriptures. That they would wrestle through these things with You and so You would grant them authority in their teaching, in their speaking, in their sharing. Father, that they would learn to wrestle through these things, to spend time with You. Father, that You would take these young people and speak to their hearts these these treasures, these truths, that through the Word of God, You can minister to them. Father, that You would so enlighten them as they study the Scriptures and wrestle with these portions and cry out, Lord, teach me from this passage that I might show others. Father, I pray that You would do that in their young lives. And Father, I pray that You would raise up many of them to teach the Word of God in Bible studies, in small gatherings, in churches. Father, to be able to stand up and proclaim Your Word. Father, speak to them. And Lord, I pray that You would not let them get distracted. That even if they confront demonic activity, that it would not so throw them. But Father, that they would see that these things are shown in the Word of God. Father, I pray that you protect them, you watch over and keep them. The grace of God surround them. Watch over them in the name of Jesus. Father, your blessings be there in Jesus' name. Amen.